0: Love that, Peggy. (laughs) Um, Good morning, Green Tree Community Church. It's good to be with you. My name is Chip Dimitri. I'm, of course, Peggy Dimitri's husband. Um, I was on staff here for almost 10 years, and now I am a missionary of Green Tree, and I work with an organization called the Wellspring Group. Uh, Many men and women from Green Tree and even the greater St. Louis area and beyond have participated in our small groups called Battle for the Heart. And, uh, and then recently I started doing life coaching for individuals and teams. In all of these things that I do, my life mission is to see true, sustained transformation in the heart of those people that I get to work with. And uh, it's a true joy to see them become the men and women that God created them to be. I believe with all my heart that we bear the image of God and even have a unique expression of that image that only we can bring to the rest of the world and reveal to the rest of the world. And it is just a true joy to help people discover what that unique essence is, that unique piece of God's image that uh, they bear. And And when that happens, we all benefit. It helps the person and it helps the rest of us because, as the body of Christ, we get to see the body more fuller, a more full expression of Christ's body here on earth. But there's a problem. And I want to talk about um, an obstacle this morning to our becoming the best image bearers that we can be. And this morning, I want to talk about shame. And shame is probably one of the most misunderstood of all the emotions, and yet it impacts us on a daily basis. But before we go there and start talking about that, I wanted just to say that I have sat where you are for many Sundays now, looking at a TV screen or a computer monitor, and it's, it's really hard to engage in, in church. It really is. And maybe you have small children that are demanding something from you while you're trying to watch, or maybe you're like us and you have a dog named Zippy that likes to jump all over us and bark at everything that walks by. In fact, um, last Sunday, of course, was Communion Sunday, and uh, Peggy was in the kitchen, getting all our communion supplies ready, and she turned away for a split second, and Zippy ate our communion. Now, we like to think that Zippy has a special relationship with the Lord. And and there he is, um, Zippy. The point being, it is incredibly hard to stay focused. There's so many distractions while we're watching or trying to engage with church virtually. And so that said, I'm going to try to keep this message very clear and concise. And together, we'll look forward to when we can meet together in the building again, uh, starting the middle of next month. Okay, so if you had asked me 15 or 20 years ago if I thought shame played a major role in my life, I would have said no. I mean, I knew that I had experienced shame, but I really felt like it was in the rearview mirror, especially now that I was a Christian. I could not have been more wrong. I had no idea how much shame was affecting, shame from my past was affecting my present. So this morning, my hope is to bring shame into the light, so to speak, to expose it for what it is and what it does. And so to that end, I won't be exegeting from just one passage. Um, We're going to look at several passages as we look look at what shame is and what shame does. So the Bible is full of of stories about shame. In fact, some would say it's the undercurrent of all Scripture and that it's one of Satan's primary weapons for keeping God's children from becoming who they were meant to be. We see it in Peter after he denied Jesus, David after he slept with Bathsheba, Judas after he betrayed Jesus, Abraham, Noah, Moses, Paul, just to name a few. In fact, you can see shame touching almost every character, if not every character that we read about in Scripture. And so consequently, there is a lot we could talk about when it comes to shame. That said, I promise to keep this concise. And so to that end, I want to just look at five things, five things that we should all know about shame. Now, I'm not saying there's only five things. I'm just saying we need to at least understand these five things about shame. But before we go there, would you pray with me? Lord God, we invite you into all of the spaces that we are right now, in our homes, um, in a building somewhere, maybe outside, inside. We invite you into all of those spaces, knowing that you transcend all of this technology, Lord. We need to hear from you. We need you to bring into the light how how evil has used shame to keep us in a place of condemnation. When what you desire for us is freedom, and so we ask you to come this morning. Um, we don't need to hear uh, Chip's words. We need to hear your words and what you want to say to us this morning. And so I ask that in the name of Jesus, Amen. Five things we should all know about shame. The first thing we need to know about shame is its origin. And so to do that, we have to go back to the first couple, Adam and Eve. At the end of Genesis 2, we read these words, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, isn't it interesting that we're not hearing about how full of joy they are, how free of defect they are, free of worry. Instead, we read They were naked and felt no shame. These are the last words we read before the fall. And then a few verses later, we read this in Genesis 3, verses 7 through 10. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. I was naked, so I hid. So this becomes a major theme from Genesis to Revelation. This theme of hiding from God and trying to cover up shame. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves but it was inadequate as are all of our human mechanisms for hiding from God because you can't hide from omniscience. Yet this is a daily struggle for most of us. Just like Adam and Eve, we hide and we cover, and we all have our unique set of fig leaves. Our attempts to cover ourselves and hide from God will always fall short. Only He can overcome both our shame and our guilt, and it's important to see both of those here, shame and guilt. And maybe you're wondering, well, what's the difference between shame and guilt? Well, guilt's message is, I did something bad, and it needs justification and forgiveness. Shame's message is, I am bad. I am there's something wrong with me. I'm defective, and it needs an identity shift. Let me give you an example of hiding and covering up shame from my own life. As most of you know, I have something called Tourette syndrome, and it's not very pronounced now, but early in my life it was very pronounced, especially in elementary and middle school. And there were days when the body movements and the tics would get so bad that I would go to the teacher and get a a hall pass and I would go to the bathroom myself and go into a stall and I would just sort of let the ticks and the body movements go. In fact, I would try to even emphasize them. The idea was if I could just sort of get it all out of me, then I could go back to the classroom and be normal. And of course that doesn't work with Tourette's. It actually can make it worse. I felt like there was something wrong with me. It wasn't just that I had a condition. It was that I am broken. I am defective. And it didn't have to be like that. My oldest son, Joshua, also has Tourette's, and it was much more pronounced in his elementary and middle school as well. And largely through the research and wisdom of my amazing wife, Peggy, we decided to approach it differently with Joshua. What she did was she went with Joshua to his elementary school, and they got up in front of the class and shared what these movements and these tics were all about. And then they allowed the kids to ask questions. And the kids would ask questions like, does it hurt? Is it contagious? And this diffused shame's ability to make it something to hide and to cover. And it was interesting, after the kids asked their questions, they just seemed to move on. Like, okay, no big deal, Josh has Tourette's, let's talk about something else. There's a great movie called Wonder that captures this idea. A young boy named Augie has an extreme facial deformity. And in the movie, you see this same struggle, especially with the parents, whether it's best for Augie to try to blend in and try to cover his deformity, in his case, with a space helmet. And throughout the movie, you you see this wrestling happening, and in the end, Augie accepts who he is, and his friends accept who he is, and he ditches the space helmet. The second thing we need to know about shame is it can arise from other people's sin against us. Shame is commonly found in the victims of abuse. In fact, shameful and sinful acts committed against a person make them more vulnerable to shame. Usually the victims carry more shame than the perpetrators. An example of this in Scripture is the story of Tamar who was violated by her brother Amnon, who then expelled her and said he wanted nothing to do with her. She walked away mourning and cloaked in shame. Listen to how 2 Samuel describes her exit. She put her hand on her head and went away weeping aloud as she went. Can you feel the shame in that moment that she must have felt? She was violated and felt powerless to do anything about it. And in that day and age, the ramifications of that were horrible, were devastating. So as it relates to shame in our lives caused by people, we need other people for healing. And this is often the hardest thing to do because it was by people that we were hurt. And now you want me to go to other people and risk being hurt again? Everything in us wants to isolate and protect ourselves from being hurt again. This is the energy of shame. Often we want a private solution because it seems easier. But God knows that what we really need is healing through community. It's in community that we find the strength for sustained healing. For example, if if I start to get off track and start to believe Satan's lies again, other people in my community can can nudge me back and say, you know what, Chip, that's not who you are. This is who God says you are. In Kurt Thompson's book, The Soul of Shame, he talks about how shame is not something we fix within the mental processes of our own mind. In fact, evil would love for us to believe that's the case. Instead, we combat it within the context of conversation, prayer, and community. This is not an easy process. God, in his love and infinite wisdom, will bring us to a place that requires utter surrender and trust. A place that requires us to let go of our protective strategies. He wants to replace our conditioned responses and our hypersensitivities that came from being hurt by others with instead a visceral belief that He is good and He will protect us. In the healing process, we'll often begin to experience things similar to how we felt before the hurtful event. And in a sense, we're brought back to that place of pain, but this time, we see it again through different eyes, and we see it with other people there with us, a counselor, or a coach, or, and of course Jesus is there with us. Our mind and our body expect pain and violation, and instead we receive unconditional love and grace. This is transformative, and it can actually begin to rewire our brains. Dr. Thompson talks about how there is a neurobiological component to shame, and I won't go into a great lot of detail here, but I want to give you the gist of that. Shame runs on what are called non-myelinated neurons. For our purposes, we'll call those non-insulated pathways, meaning they don't have a lot of protein around them, and this lack of insulation makes them difficult to turn off. Our brains have a social engagement system that starts early in life through interactions with our parents. And if we have healthy interactions, then those proteins build up and they insulate the neurons. And these insulated neurons can be turned off or on. Shame runs on the non-insulated pathways that can't easily be turned off. So shame sticks around. But there's hope. There's been some tremendous work that demonstrates that physiological healing is possible. Our neural pathways can be built up and become more like the healthy, insulated pathways. But this healing can't be done alone. We need other people. We need what are called countermanding physiological experiences. Or another way to say that is experiences that go counter To what our brain is expecting. For example, as I tell you my story of brokenness, which I probably don't want to do, I start to feel the shame nausea all over again. And my my brain prepares for judgment and condemnation. But instead, when your countenance and your words are kind, it catches my brain off guard. It's a grace. It's a beautiful surprise. And the more we experience these beautiful surprises, the more those neural pathways get reinforced. This is a reintegrating process that counters the disintegrating process of shame. Okay, enough science for now. When we look at Genesis, this need for community makes sense. We know from Genesis that it's not good for man to be alone. And we know also from the beginning that the triune God made us in such a way that we would join the three divine persons in their community and creativity. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. We were always meant to become part of the perfect community Of the triune God. The third thing we need to know about shame is it can arise from our own past sins that haunt us. In 2 Corinthians 7 through 9, Paul talks about a godly sorrow or a godly grief as we read in other translations. And it says this Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So, the answer to the question, is there a good type of shame? is yes, but only in so much as it leads us back to Jesus. In fact, one might even argue that it's really guilt at this point. That feeling of remorse and guilt we feel after doing something wrong is meant to point us to Jesus, meant to remind us of our need for a Savior. We need to admit our guilt and acknowledge our spiritual poverty before God and receive His forgiveness as sufficient. We see what happens when we don't confess our sin and instead try to hide it. Let's look at Psalm 32. Listen to how David laments the consequence of his silence and covering up of sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and you did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So there are emotional and physical effects to letting sin fester. And we see this in a dramatic way as David talks about his bones wasting away. But what about sin that we've confessed and have not been able to forgive ourselves of? This can be just as devastating as the effects of shame we discussed earlier. If we wallow in the guilt, meaning I did something bad, it can become shame where we start to believe I am bad. And that's exactly where Satan wants to keep us, in that place of condemnation from our past sins, believing, I am bad. Ultimately, it becomes about our belief in the work of Jesus on the cross. Do we believe that he took our worst sin and separated it from us as far as the east is from the west? Do we believe Romans 8, 1 and 2? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. You can beat yourself up so much that you end up with a higher standard of forgiveness than God. God forgives you, but now you can't forgive yourself? This narrative will oppress you. This is where community is, again, very important to the process of healing. We come to faith as in as individuals, but we grow in community. Other people are never meant to be the source of our validation, of our significance, of our security, or of our satisfaction. But God will use other people in our lives to work out grace and to work out His forgiveness. It's vital that we have somebody in whom we can be brutally honest. Naming a sin and confessing it to another diffuses Satan's ability to turn it into shame. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James 5, 16. The fourth thing we're going to look at is shame can become a barrier to giving and receiving love. Shame can feel like a vague sense of unworthiness or insecurity that isn't immediately connected to a specific sin, or at least that we can remember. That feeling of unworthiness can be like a barrier that keeps love from getting through, either from God or from other people. In an album by Pink Floyd called Another Brick in the Wall, the writer likens these emotional traumas to bricks in a wall. And as more of these bricks get stacked one on top of another, eventually the main character is sealed off from the rest of the world. Likewise, if enough of these bricks of shame get built up in our lives, it effectively shuts us off emotionally from God and other. And the results of this can be devastating. Here's just a few ways shame can be devastating we can inadvertently pass shame onto others. The generational and cyclical nature of shame can cause us to pass our own sense of shame along to others through blame or shame that we put on them. For example, the mother feels shame about her own body and then ends up criticizing her daughter's eating and clothing choices, thus passing along a sense of body shame to her daughter. Another devastating effect of shame is that it can hinder creativity. Creativity requires a freedom that shame squelches because shame requires that all we do should be perfect before presenting it to others. That's a big one for me. Creativity is unleashed as we're freed from shame and as we take creative risks offering our art to the world with its imperfections. Shame wants to hinder us along each step of the creative process as it asks us or maybe yells at us, who do you think you are? What makes you think you have something to offer here? This is the opposite of who we were created to be, the very image, imago Dei, of God, made to reflect his creativity in our different expressions imperfections and all. Another way that shame can be devastating is the relational disconnection. If I don't believe that I can be loved, I will find it impossible to be in an authentic relationship with anyone. I'll find ways to distance myself from others or to protect myself from being truly known. My core belief is that if you really knew me, you wouldn't want to be in a relationship with me. This is the energy of shame. And again, community is critical to our healing. The most powerful way to combat shame is to be truly known and to know others truly. As we share our shame stories or the way that shame has threatened to silence us, and as these stories are met with compassion and empathy, shame fades away and it loses the fuel of isolation and fear. And as we learned earlier, it even has a physical neurobiological impact on us. Neural pathways are strengthened, effectively rewiring our brains. So we've looked at the origin of shame, we've seen that shame can arise from the sin of others, we've seen that shame can arise from our own sin that haunts us, we've seen that shame can hinder our ability to give and receive love, And now we're going to look at the last thing, which is probably the most important. Jesus overcame shame. Evil says, you're bad. You're a fraud. You are broken. You are defective. And you will never change. You will always be like that. And if we believe that, it's a prison much worse than being surrounded by bars. But Jesus came to bring freedom from that prison, freedom from that lie that Satan wants us to believe. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 4 18 through 21. This was Jesus' mission here on earth. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he said, Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Let me put that in words that relate to what we've been talking about today. Jesus says, I am going to crawl into the shame pit with you. You will see me seeing you, and know that nothing is too big for me to handle. Nothing has escaped me. Even when you turn away from me, I won't give up. I will come after you because I love you too much. Hide as you may. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there also. Psalm 139. There is no place we can hide from our Father who loves us. And that is some amazing news. I want to close with three things that we need to overcome shame. And I tried to make them simple and memorable. Three S's, see, share, and savor. Healing from shame begins with seeing it in our lives, becoming attentive to it. We can't be healed from something we're not aware of. We have to learn to recognize when shame is present, and that requires self-awareness. And that leads to the next thing, which is sharing. And I should say, these are not linear. A lot of times we might be sharing with a friend something unrelated, and it might touch shame in us. And so it's in that conversation, in that sharing, that you might actually see shame for the first time. So as we've heard throughout this message, community is vital to our healing. We need people we can trust who are safe. We need a skilled guide. To help us walk through the poison roots of shame, I love that song that the Crocketts sang earlier. It could be a life coach or a counselor, or it could be in the context of a small group like Battle for the Heart. In all of our groups, people are equipped with some basic skills of how to cover each other, how to care for each other as we share vulnerably. Similarly, Stephen's ministers are also equipped to care when someone needs to share their struggles. The point is, is there are a lot of options. The key is taking that first step, and it's a big step. It's a tough step to take. Taking risks to open up and be vulnerable goes against everything in us. Evil wants us to isolate and try to protect ourselves. God wants us to come out of the shadows and let him protect us. If you get nothing else this morning, please get that one thing. I'll say it again. Evil wants us to isolate and try to protect ourselves. God wants us to come out of the shadows and let him protect us. I love this quote by civil rights activist Maya Angelou. It says, there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. That quote is especially powerful to me as I think about her context for writing that. Finally, we need to savor. What do I mean by savor? Well, as we experience God's truth and unconditional love and as God's truth breaks through the lies that we've been believing, it's important that we memorialize that. Sort of um, an emotional monument And this has both an emotional and physical impact on our brains as it reintegrates the hurtful event in a healthy way. The event is not going to go away, but it reintegrates it in a healthy way. These emotional monuments remind us of God's faithfulness and give us hope when we struggle in the future. See, share, and savor. I want to conclude this morning with a mental image that reminds us that we are not alone. And it's the image of Jesus crawling into the shame pit with us. What does that look like? What does that look like for Jesus to crawl into the shame pit with us? It looks like the cross. Listen to Hebrews 12, too. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He took our shame then on the cross, and He takes our shame now as we take up our cross to follow Him. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we recognize that the strength to do this comes from You, from Your Holy Spirit. We also recognize that you use other people. And so, Lord, I just um, pray for anybody hearing this message that um, is thinking about their own shame, Lord, that they, uh, they would turn to you ultimately, Lord. They would see it. They would share it with somebody they can trust and then see your truth break through the lie and memorialize that. Um, in a way that keeps Satan from using that to condemn. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. We thank you for pictures all through scripture that we can glean from of other people who've gone through the very things that, that we've gone through, especially Jesus. We have a priest who knows what we have struggled with and has gone through them before us. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus.